podcast. My name is Victoria Smith and we are on episode number 68 of the Girl Tries Life podcast. So today on the podcast, I wanted to dive into something a little bit different. I wanted to talk about women in politics because it's not something that I see happen a lot, especially whether it's provincial, municipal, federal politics. Women just seem to get raked over the coals, to be honest. And so I've always wondered what it takes to actually persevere as a woman in politics. So I wanted to talk to Esmahan Razavi, who recently ran for city council in Calgary. While she didn't get elected, she learned so much in the process and she had actually, previous to that, co-founded the Ask Her Foundation, which is all about getting more women into politics, more women applying for municipal politics. So she talks to us all about what inspired Ask Her. We talk about the challenges that women typically face in politics and how they are not just the standard social media issues that you would expect, but how deep the issues actually really run and what we can actually do about it, how we shift voter attitudes and better prepare candidates and all of that. We talk about what she learned in her run for city council that can benefit future future women who are running for election. And she also recently organized the last two women's marches in Calgary. So we talk about why she got involved in that and, and the importance and the difference between the, the event in 2017 versus the event in 2018. We also talk about what everyday activism can look like for women, because I would definitely consider Esmahan an activist, and what she does for self-care. So it was a fantastic interview, and I was really happy to dive into a completely different topic, I think, for this, for this podcast. It was the first time we really talked about politics, and I was so glad to be a part of it. So as many of you already know, the Girl Choice Life podcast is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network. The Alberta Podcast Network is a collection of Alberta-based and produced podcasts. They cover all sorts of topics and all sorts of <laughs> ranges. Uh, we, we definitely, there's something for everyone. So I did want to talk to you a little bit, seeing as we're talking about politics, wanted to talk to you about a, po- a podcast called the Dave Berta podcast. So this is where Dave Cornoyer and Ryan Hassman, they talk politics, policy, and events from an Edmontonian, Albertan, and a Canadian perspective. So there's definitely a lot to take away from this. So given that Esmahan is, you know, someone that has started up an organization from scratch, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about ATBX. So not quite necessarily a nonprofit, but if you have an idea and you're ready to turn it into a business, I highly recommend you check out ATBX. It's an incubator. It's an accelerator. It's a cohort of people that are disrupting their industries. So you go to ATBX dot com forward slash atbx for more information and i will include all of that in today's show notes so today's show notes can be found at girltrieslife.com forward slash podcast forward slash six eight so without further ado let's head over to the interview well thank you so much esmahan for joining us on the podcast we're so pleased to have you Thanks so much for having me. So I'm actually hoping you can give us a little bit of a background. Like if you were walking into an interview and they said, tell us a little bit about yourself, I guess, what would you say for our listeners to have some context? I guess since we're going to be talking about women in politics, I'll focus on that kind of stuff. So I've really been involved in politics since 2015. And in 2016, I co-founded an organization called Ask Her with a few friends of mine. And Ask Her is a multi-person 
nonprofit devoted to getting more women to run for municipal politics here in Calgary. I've also co-organized co the Women's March here in Calgary in 2018. Um, I'm a steering committee member for Equal Voice, which is a national multi-partisan organization that focuses on getting gender parity at all orders of government. And I, I, uh, I'm a member of the Calgary group. I was also the chair of the Canadian Federation of Business, Business and Professional Women's Women in Politics group in 2017. And I've just, I just, I ran for council myself. I almost forgot that yeah. <laughs> in uh, 2017 and was runner up. And I've been involved in campaigns since, I guess, 2015, um, particularly focusing on women candidates as much as possible. Yeah. So that's kind of my political yeah, history. So where did the passion for this come from, your passion for women in politics? I have always had it. I think it's because of my life experience and where I grew up. I was born in Saudi Arabia and lived there for a while. And I was lucky enough to be born to a pretty feminist parent who were always, you know, encouraging me to take on like leadership positions and never spoke about women and men women and men in different terms except to highlight inequality that existed. And I remember we had moved around quite a bit when I was a child and I moved back to Saudi Arabia when I was nine years old. And in Saudi Arabia schools are gender segregated. So there's a boys' school and there's a girls' school. And I have a I have two younger brothers, but at the time I only had one. And we dropped him off to school and he, he was dropped off at this beautiful brick building. And then we went off to my school, which was about a 10 minute drive. And, you know, we stopped in front of this place with giant concrete walls and a single door that was chained from the outside. And I remember getting out of the, the cab with my mother and there was a man who was sitting by the door. And, you know, she said, like, this is my daughter. She's about to start school here. Would you let us in? And he did. And then we went to the principal's office and she asked, you know, why was the door chained from the outside? And the woman said, well, it's protocol because we want to make sure that the girls in the school, like their modesty is preserved and they don't go out and do anything um, immoral. And then <laughs> my mother asked, well, are there? <laughs> yeah. And so she asked, are there fire exits? And there weren't. What? Yeah, so it was a really, I think at that moment, I kind of realized, wow, so because I'm a girl, like, I'm being treated so differently than my brother who got to go to this really great brick building, where it's really, really easy to get out of and where they have the freedom to get in and out of whenever they want. And so at that moment, I think I sort of had a bit of an awakening. Um, and I think what was especially interesting for me even then was the idea that because there are no women in decision-making roles, they're relegated to a certain space. There's no one to advocate for women and girls. So yeah, the, the need to have women and girls in positions where they can advocate for themselves is something that since then has always been very important to me because in some, in some places in the world, it's literally a matter of your physical safety and Unfortunately, uh, in another school in Saudi Arabia, a few years later, some girls actually ended up dying in a school because there was a fire oh and they could gosh. only exit through that one door. Yeah, so it's it's really, I mean, when you think about it in those terms, it's, it's kind of becomes clear that it's so important to have more than one voice at the table. Yeah, absolutely. And it, so how long have you lived in Canada then? 
I was born in Saudi Arabia, lived in the States and in Canada for a few years, and then moved back when I was nine, and then immigrated to Canada when I was 13. And so it's been, <laughs> I'm turning 30 this year. Okay, so yeah. It's been, <laughs> it's been a while. Yeah, 17 years. Yeah, it's been a while. It's been yeah. a while. So it's funny because we, a lot of us would assume that, you know, Canada's first world country, like we would have so many more women represented in politics. And yet when I actually did the research for this interview, we're actually woefully underrepresented compared to many other countries in the world. Why do you think this is? What's your, what's your research told you? There are some similarities between, you know, a Canadian woman here and women in, in the United States or, or in Europe that prevent them from running for office. So I think those are things like, you know, I heard a, a great quote the other day and it, it was, you be what you see. And so when there are not enough women role models, a lot of young women don't see themselves in those roles and don't have access to mentors in those roles that would sort of, you know, help them cultivate that kind of path that's needed to be a politician. So that's the problem. The fact that being a politician is a very time-consuming job and often women bear the brunt of childcare and, you know, home, sort of the responsibilities at home. And so that you know, kind of 24-7 political lifestyle sometimes is in- incompatible with the way we've sort of set up our social taking care of, of children aspect. Mm-hmm. And then there are a lot of other things too, like the nastiness in politics that I think is becoming particularly more visible, especially with social media. I mean, you know, for a lot of people and for a lot of women, especially the level of women politicians, the level of harassment that they receive is pretty significant and I think a lot of women will ask themselves do I really want to put myself out there in this way do I really want to put my family out there in this way and receive that and then um, in Canada fundraising is a hugely important part of having a successful campaign and a lot of women are not necessarily either because of their careers or just because of their social circles connected to those kinds of big fundraisers Mm -hmm and have that kind of access to to wealth that would contribute to having a higher, you know, I guess a higher pot of money in their campaign. Mm-hmm. And we also know that women it, need to be asked at least three times before they even consider running for office. And one of the things that I'd read for starting Ask Her was about how, you know, if you have two people in a room, a man and a woman, who would be almost same resume, it's more likely that the man will think of himself as a future politician or leader than the woman. And again, I think that goes back to what I first talked about, which is, you know, you are, you be what you see. And when, again, when you don't have that many women in politics at any order of government, then it's really hard for someone, for a woman to think that, oh, I can, I can be this, or this is a path for me that is feasible. Because from personal experience, you know, running for office takes a lot of work Mm -hmm. and a lot of time and a lot of personal resources. And if you don't see a clear path to victory or to doing well, then it, it, it might not make sense to put your name forward. Yeah. So a lot of people would say, well, you know, you, you see the issues out there, like the need for an organization like Ask Her. You actually started it. So what was the, what was the sort of drive for that need and that it had to be you to, to start it? Well, the story of Ask Her's creation is pretty uh, pretty funny because it's really simple in a way. It started when 
I went out to lunch with two of my friends, Carrie Kendall and Carol Levis. And we, the three of us had met in 2015 during the federal election and were very interested in particular in supporting women candidates. And we were talking about, you know, the upcoming sort of political landscape in Alberta. And we, we focused on the next election, which at the time was the municipal election. And we realized that out of 15 seats on council, only two of those were held by women. Mm-hmm. So there are 14 councillors in Calgary and the 15th seat belongs to the mayor. And the fact that only two women were on council was really, really jarring to us. And I think that we kind of known it because we, the three of us are pretty, you know, politically involved, I guess, and also sort of keep up on the, you know, on what's going on in the city. Mm-hmm. But when we put, when we realized it in those numbers, we were shocked. And we kind of looked to see if anyone was doing anything to recruit more women or to get more women involved. And between the three of us, we'd also done a bit of research into into why there aren't so many women in politics. And I think it comes down again to, to asking women. So we decided that we would form this organization to ask as many people as possible, as many women as possible to run for office for the municipal election and to sort of provide them with a little bit of a foundation, like a, like a practical foundation that they could use in the election. So the idea was to be able to provide a little bit of seed money for their campaigns mm-hmm. and also to provide a campaign school. So those were two of the things that the organization was able to accomplish. And also, I mean, I think we pro- like I probably alone chatted to 40 to 50 women separately, you know, asking them to run and, in the 2013 election, nine of the candidates had been women. But in 2017, as a result of the campaign that we started and all the conversations that were being had, over just over 20 women ended up seeking municipal office. So it was good to see that. Unfortunately, just one other woman was elected. Yeah. So it's now three out of 15. But I do think that people are more cognizant of the you know, of how few women are on council and the need to have that representation. And a lot of women finished in strong second positions. Mm -hmm. So that's pretty encouraging as well, because sometimes or often it takes more than once before you're actually successful. And so getting out there and getting your name out there, hopefully a lot of those women who came in second will um, will consider running again. Well, and I think... I, I commend you for this work. It's absolutely fantastic. I just, I, I do remember going to a debate for mayoral candidates and I was, it was sad to see that there, it was all male candidates running for mayor, but also the, the massive lack of, inex- of experience for many of the male candidates that like you're saying, many would just like have this belief that they could run for politics, not without necessarily having anything behind it. And yet you know, women having to be asked multiple times and they're likely incredibly skilled and yeah, yeah. it's shocking. And it's so interesting because um, I actually got to see Michelle Obama when she came to Calgary Yeah, and she, she kind of talked about this a little bit and, and she made a, a kind of a, a bit of a controversial statement when she was asked, you know, when the United States have a female president and she said, well, when women are ready. And then she explained that by saying that we're so unforgiving of any flaws in a woman candidate, you know, mm-hmm. like we hold women candidates to such a high standard. They have to have X, Y, and Z and be perfect in so many ways um, and are not allowed to be human. Yeah. And we don't hold men to that same standard. So it's, 
so interesting that we do that and, and that you made that comment. And, and it's so it's so apparent, like you just see it everywhere, right? At, at every election that we expect the woman candidate to to be, like you said, like hyper qualified for the job. Mm-hmm. But we don't hold that same expectation for men. And I don't think that we should hold that expectation for either, right? Yeah. Like, I mean, I think when I was door knocking, um, what people really want is someone who's going to represent their interests, like someone who listens to what they, to what they have to say. And that's not a gendered quality by any means. You know, a man can do that or a woman can do that. So you would hope that when people evaluate the candidates, they do so on that kind of matrix and not in a way that is hypercritical of a woman for things that, you know, maybe she can't control. Yeah. Well, and it's interesting, we had talked earlier about the sort of social media element and how that has kind of blown up in recent years. But I, I, I do see more negative comments. And, and maybe it's just my little echo chamber. I'm not sure. But I, I feel like I do see more negative comments about women for their appearance or their ability to balance parenting or anything like this compared to the male counterparts. Like usually I would just see that in like the top positions for men and not for sort of you know I remember our minister of health was attacked for her weight and I I just can't remember a larger white man ever being attacked for that but so how do we actually shift this like is that something that you think there is any room for change on in terms of social media like voter attitudes or or do we just better prepare candidates and accept that this is the world we live in now so i refuse to accept it okay <laughs> i i think we uh, i mean it is a reality and i think that if someone is running for office they have to accept that in this moment and time they will likely be subjected to some of that abuse and some of those comments but i think that for people who aren't running for office our responsibility is to call it out every time we see it mm-hmm. and across party lines and across you know the political spectrum i mean if someone is a, is a conservative and they see it happening to a progressive, they should call it out. And if someone is a progressive and they see it happening to a conservative, they should still call it out. Because ultimately, if it's harder for for one kind of woman to run, it's harder for all of us, right? Mm-hmm. So I think that particularly as, as women, like we have an obligation to each other to lift each other up and to make sure that if we are seeing this kind of behavior, we're letting people know that it's not acceptable and that we won't tolerate it. And that people see that there are real consequences associated with making those kinds of comments. And so when you did your sort of campaign school, did you have any specific comments for uh, for the women who were running on how to prepare for that? So it was interesting because I actually ended up taking the campaign school as a candidate. I decided to run a few months before the campaign school and I had to, as a result, resign from Ask Her. Mm-hmm. So they... There was a, um, a session that Asker had on media that was delivered by the current board member, Sarah Elder Chaminara, and she did talk about, you know, the need to sort of to sort of see how you manage it. And I know that for myself, when I ran, I actually gave away my Twitter about probably like 45 days before the election. I just gave it to my campaign manager and a few people on my comms team and said, I don't want to see it. I don't want to hear any of it. Just take it and, and do whatever. <laughs> And they did that. And that maybe that was my way of doing it because mm-hmm. I didn't want, I think that sometimes one negative thing can stick with you longer than like 10 positive things. Oh, for sure. And I knew that, 
as a candidate, I, I needed to be upbeat for my team, like the duration of the period. So I was like, I can't let any of that get to me. And mm-hmm. some people might be strong enough to not need to do that. But I think everyone needs to sort of be honest with themselves and say, like, you know, what would what, what would happen if I were to see a comment like that and, and evaluate how they'll deal with it on that basis. And it's tough because women are in a double bind, right? Like we, it was so interesting because one of the questions that I got regularly as I was running was whether or not I was tough enough for the job. <laughs> and I don't totally believe that none of the men in the city who were running ever got that question. Mm-hmm. And so, but that really did get to me in a way because I kept thinking, okay, so I need to appear like I'm completely tough. And then when I would get some racism and sexism, I realized like I couldn't complain about it or I couldn't even bring it up because if I did, people would think I'm not tough enough, right? They'd think I'm like whining and can't handle it. Yeah. So, and that's a, a bind that like the double bind that all women face. You get this kind of behavior and then, you know, calling it out yourself is something that you're reluctant to do because then you don't want to be seen as the whiner and the complainer and, or to be using that to your advantage to get publicity right like yeah. that sort of those are sort of the things in your head that you sort of have to grapple with mm-hmm. so that's why I think it's, it's important for the people who are not running to call it out yeah so in your run for city council what did you learn that you think like your best lessons learned that could benefit future women running for election that's a tough question <laughs> you know I think that what it really boils down to is putting together a team of people around you who lift you up who make you feel every day as though you're doing it for the right reasons and who are there to kind of support you when it gets hard. And, and a lot of the times you might be, the, as a candidate, you might be alone knocking on some doors. But as long as you have some people who are who are there to phone when things are tough and who are there to kind of pick you up and say, like, you know, you know you've got this, like, keep going. I think that's really important. So I, I think I, I would say, you know, when you are building your team, make sure that there are people around you who are positive and who can give you that that energy because it's so easy I think to when you're running um, or any time in politics to be in a, in a in a bubble and to take any criticism so so much to heart and to let that get to you and, and bring you down and so it's important to have people around you who can tell you and who believe in you so that you can kind of believe in yourself sometimes yeah so I think that that was one of my biggest lessons but um, I think honestly like for anyone who's ever thinking of running for office, my advice would be do it. Just go around and, and talk to as many people as possible first to get an idea of what it would be like to run for office. Mm-hmm. But if that's something that is in your heart, I like I think you should do it. Yeah. Oh, that's great. And they've got Ask Her as a resource, which is fantastic. They do, yeah. And, and Ask Her is focused on um, municipal, municipal runs, but if they are thinking about federal or provincial, then they can go to Equal Voice as well. And that's an organization that does a lot of great work around, like I said, trying to get more women to run. And I think that provincially and federally as well, because you have a party system, you have people to reach out to. It's a little different municipally because you don't have a party to support you. You're kind yeah. of like on your own. And I think that parties are becoming more aware of the need to have more women candidates. And so they're, they're all developing kind of internal infrastructure to support women. And that's something that, that people should, that women should know if they want to run, you know, reach out to the parties and see what kind of resources they have available for women candidates. You know, do they have specific 
a fund for women candidates? Do they have maybe some kind of campaign school or, or something like that that's available that can sort of prepare the women who want to run to run? Mm-hmm. And it's the other thing I would say is one of the best ways to know if you want to be a candidate is probably to actually be on a campaign. Um, an idea for so, it. Yeah. Yeah. So, so volunteer on a campaign. And we're lucky in a sense in Alberta, we have two coming up, two uh, elections coming up in 2019, most likely. And, uh, you know, those are great times to just kind of get involved and, and get out there. So are you going to run again? I probably will run for something in the future. I don't see it in the cards right now. Yeah. Just because I did like put my life on hold for about seven months. Yeah. <laughs> to run and that's a pretty significant amount of time and a lot of personal energy and resources and also I think that right now I would be best served helping other women get elected Mm -hmm. in 2019 but I I do love politics and I I do think that hopefully I could be a good representative yeah (laughs) eventually yes I will I, I I would like to do that oh I'm glad to hear it so you. you support women's issues across the board and were one of the organizers for the Women's March in Calgary. What was that experience like? That was great because it happened right after the election. Yeah. And, you know, when you're campaigning, you're giving 150% every day. And then all of a sudden, <laughs> I'm back to work and have a lot of free time. And I was like, gosh, what can I do? And then I was asked, along with a friend of mine to to co-organize and it was just such a great experience because all of the women who were involved were so passionate about supporting other women and so willing to give their free time and free energy and and resources just to get this march going and seeing that was so heartening because I think it's sometimes you know we get caught up in, in negativity but when you go out and you see how how willing people are to to give their own energy and and time to trying to make the city better in a certain way. That's so encouraging. And it was a great experience. It was a lot of work to get it done, but the group of women who were involved were more than up to the task. And then the actual march itself was, I thought, a really optimistic, like it it had a really optimistic kind of tone to it. Mm -hmm. We we had young women speak. So we had an 11-year-old, 14-year-old and another 14-year-old, I think. And that made me think like, wow, like we already have these young women in front of us who are ready to, to carry on the torch and, and they're our future. And there are already activists who are trying to make the world a better place. So I thought that that was kind of great to see, you know, these young girls ready to, to take the torch and, and, and go forward. And that is, I think is something that's really encouraging as well. The amount of youth who who want to live in a better world and who are actively participating in trying to make that happen. Yeah. Well, and so, and like you were saying, the first March happened sort of just after the inauguration and then, and, but then there was the second one recently. So what, what do you hope that attendees take away from the event? Like what's the call to action? So that's a great question because, when we talked about the second march, we wanted to make sure that we felt that it was separate from what was happening in the United States. Mm-hmm. And it's hard because I think that a lot of people looked at, you know, the last election and in the United States and, 
and felt, even though it's happening in the United States, like felt something for what was happening there. Mm-hmm. But we wanted to try to take it back this year for Calgary and make it about Calgary women's issues. So we kept saying during the during the rally after the march, you know, get involved with an organization that matters to you. Speak up for other women and for yourself and just really start thinking more about issues around equality and, and equity. And the Women's March is interesting, too, because we try to have a really intersectional approach to everything. And so it's not just about, you know, women even necessarily. It's also about um, people who are living in poverty. It's also about racial issues. It's also about LGBTQ plus issues. It's also about all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And so wherever your passion lies, you know, go out and, and send an email to an organization that you see is doing some good work and uh, and get involved. And if there is an issue and there is no organization around it, consider starting something on your own. And that's sort of the cool thing about Calgary. We have this entrepreneurial spirit here. You can kind of get up and, and do something by, like on your own if you need to. And there are generally people who are willing to support you and, and get that work going. Yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. So ac- activism sounds like such a big and maybe sometimes scary word what do you think that everyday activism can or should look like for women so I think it's it's really about a keeping an eye on on what's happening so being an engaged citizen um, I think like the idea of civil society is something that we forget about sometimes but it's so important to to be responsible citizens um, to, to follow along with what's happening and it's hard you know I know we all have crazy jobs and families and I need to get like things around the house done and sometimes it can feel like there's no time but even if you just sort of keep an eye on on the news and you have an idea of where the conversation is going and then you can be a part of that conversation I think for me what's really important is making sure that conversations are not you know so when I ran for council like I sat in council chambers quite a few times to hear sort of what it was like and to, to get an understanding of what it would be like if I were sitting at the table. And a lot of the people who watch council are of a certain demographic, like a certain maybe, you know, economic background and things like that, because they can take the time to, to, to get off work. And so that means that the conversation seems like it belongs to a certain group over another. Mm-hmm. And I think it's really important that we all are a part of the conversation because we all have something valuable to contribute. So I would encourage every woman out there to to see what's happening and to have to say something. And and I always hear from women like I'm I don't I'm not smart enough to be involved in politics or like I don't know what's going on. And believe me, like a lot of people don't know what's going on, mm. <laughs> but have opinions anyway. And that's not necessarily the best thing to do. But just keep an eye on it and. And where you feel passionate, insert your voice because it, you know, it's just as valuable as any other voice. Well, and am I, am I correct in saying that in Calgary, you can watch council meetings online afterwards? Yeah, you can. You can totally watch them online at your computer. Um, you can live stream them. And I think you can watch them afterwards. Like, I think they put them up mm-hmm. uh, after as well. And so even if you can't journalist. take the time out of your day, you can maybe catch up at a different point. Exactly. And there's some great journalists who live tweet it as well. There's this new kind of cool independent 
uh, bureau that's going on, like news bureau specifically for council called the Sprawl. And they do some really cool work. Yeah. And, you know, I know that um, there is Trevor Howell at the, I think it's now called the uh, the Star Calgary. Yep. To be the Metro. Yeah. And, uh, you know, they like to do live tweets and and quite a few other people do as well. Um, Megan Potkins, I think, from the Calgary Herald. So those are other ways to keep sort of keep in the loop, you know, the bigger ways to be involved again or to join your community association or, um, or something like that. But I, but I think ultimately it's about just having an idea of where the conversation is going and being a part of that conversation. And I think like trying to refocus local, I, maybe I'm just thinking of myself here, but like I could tell you a lot about what's going on in the U.S. and a lot less about what's going on closer to home right now. And that's just the way the news grabs me or what I've been kind of consuming and I realized the other day I was like nope I need to switch this to a bit more local it doesn't make sense yeah I think it's so easy for all of us to get caught up in what's happening in the states because it's everywhere yeah (laughs) and it's so hard to miss you know you you hear about it just from from everywhere and it's uh, in a way it's exciting and maybe local issues don't have that same kind of excitement associated with them but at the same time local issues are the ones that affect us every day on a day-to-day basis I mean as cool as federal politics is for example and obviously it does have a big impact on us what we actually deal with on a day-to-day basis are local issues like the roads we drive on whether or not our garbage is picked up like all those kinds of things are are important as well yeah. and have an actual tangible impact on the quality of our life well, and on your bottom bottom line, right? Like when this, in these rough economic times, like your city taxes do matter. Of course. Yeah, yeah of course. So uh, switching gears a little bit, you, I mean, you handle some pretty serious issues in, in your work and in your volunteerism. Do you find it difficult to unwind? A little bit. Okay. <laughs> yes. I think I can get, you know, I think easily worked up sometimes. Yeah. Um, and then stay there. So yes, <laughs> it's so, a short answer to that. So what does self-care look like for you then? I definitely need to get better at practicing it. I think I don't often engage in it as often as I should, but I'm really lucky I have a dog and yeah. sometimes like just going out with her and seeing how happy, like the littlest thing can make her like a leaf blowing or just going on her walk like she's so excited to be outside that will really put things into perspective for me yeah so I think taking a break and I know I was advocating for people to be engaged and and to read up on the news but sometimes it's important also to step away from that because sometimes it can be depressing and it can get really negative and I think that's like a sort of rabbit hole you can fall into so gauging like what kind of effect it's having on your mental health I think is hugely important and then you know switching off when you know that it's giving you you know it's it's making you have like a bad mood or something like that like it's ultimately you come first and paying attention to your own to your own mental health I think is hugely important I love reading so I try and so now I have I started turning off my like internet at night so that I just read a book instead instead of like articles which are easy to consume but then you get like the media notifications and I I don't do it like every night honestly sometimes I forget and then I do get sucked in but 
that's sort of a way that I'm trying to reground myself a little bit as well. And then, you know, spending time with family, I think. Um, yeah. That's the other thing. Yeah. But I, but I definitely need to get better at it. I wish I had a good answer for this. <laughs> no, that's totally um, fine. But I don't. <laughs> so I don't know that I actually asked. Is Ask Her your day job? Or what's the day job? Oh, no, no. I'm no longer on the Ask Her board. Right. Because I resigned. Um, for City Council. Yep. Yes. So I still, like, you know, I'm very supportive of the organization and I'm always there to lend a hand. But I actually work with the Ministry of Status of Women right now uh, for the provincial government. So, yeah, that's pretty cool. So before that, I was a mediator um, and did, like, corporate and civil stuff. Yeah. So what's next for you? What's your what's your vision for the future? I honestly don't know that I have, like, a a good one or two year plan right now. Yeah. I, I kind of just want to play it by ear and, and see how it goes. I'm still heavily involved in um, supporting women in politics in, in the city. So like I said, I, I am on the Equal Voice Steering Committee, and we're doing this project right now called She Leads, and we're trying to get more women to run, um, to seek nominations in the provincial election. I will definitely be helping out on the provincial election and in the federal elections as well. So that's sort of 2019. <laughs> I guess yeah. that's where you're going to yeah. go. And then we'll see what what happens after. Yeah. But yeah, that's kind of what I what I envision happening. Oh, that's great. Well, then I'm going to move into the five questions that I ask all of our interviewees. We may have already touched sure. on this. I'm not sure. But what are what are the things or the projects that get you like fired up in a good way? So anything around, I think equality and equity are, are things that really get me motivated. I so you know one of the ways that that manifests is women in politics but I think there are a lot of other issues that women face that I'm that I'm passionate about as well the other thing is you know as an immigrant I feel like in these sort of times we're living in it's maybe not become it's not as friendly as it used to be Mm -hmm. I think that the rhetoric that racialized people face now is is more negative than it used to be or maybe I've just tuned into it I'm not sure but um, I think addressing that kind of you know I I did say that I am a mediator so that's sort of informed my worldview quite a bit I really believe that we all have more things in common than we have differences Mm -hmm. and sometimes it feels like those differences are what we talk about and what we highlight but I think that we need to do a lot more bridge building with, with each other to recognize and see the fellow sort of humanity in us and, and move past, move past the, sort of the negativity that's uh, taking place. What do you think that first step is, though, for if people are sort of deep in that mind frame of difference? And, and it, it always happens, especially around elections as well, like, you know, my side, your side kind of thing. How do you encourage people to step back? I think it's easier said than done, but I think it's all about listening and listening with an open heart and an open mind. Because ultimately, you know, if one person is running for election and another person is running for the same seat, it's not like one person is diabolical and wants to do something terrible to the city or the province or or whatever. I think ultimately everybody is in it to make the place they live in a better place. They Mm -hmm. just have a different approach to doing it. So recognizing the good intentions in each other. And I think we need to be more charitable with each other. Like, I think it's so easy to take something someone says the wrong way and ascribe the worst possible motive Mm -hmm. to a statement, but to sort of be more generous 
with each other, I think might soften things a little bit. It's really funny. I have a friend who was a journalist, CBC, and she covered um, one of the anti-Islamic protests that happened in Calgary. I think it was last year. Mm -hmm. And she told me that she witnessed this conversation. First of all, there were very few people in total there. But she witnessed an interesting conversation between someone who was saying, you know, some not so nice things about Muslims and, and and a Muslim family. And they actually ended up agreeing because I can't remember exactly how it started, but they, they got into this little bit of back and forth. And, you know, the, the people who were sort of on the anti-Islamic side made this point about how, you know, we're afraid of ISIS and, and we don't like what they're doing. And then they heard from some family who happened to be Syrian refugees. Well, we're afraid of ISIS too. Like, that's why we left Syria. Yeah. And then that kind of clicked. And then the other person was like, oh, okay. <laughs> And they kind of oh, found that common ground. Yeah. But but sometimes, like, we, we either close ourselves off to listening to the common ground or we don't have an opportunity to, to see where it exists. Mm-hmm. So really, I think keeping, again, like, keeping, keeping ourselves open to that is really important. Yeah, for sure. Well, on a slightly lighter topic, maybe lighter topic, what's the most interesting <laughs> book that you've, or inspiring book that you've read in the past couple of years? So uh, I read a great book last year called Between the World and Me by, and I really hope I'm saying this correctly, Tenehesse Coates. Oh, okay. I've, yeah, um, I've heard about it. Yeah, it's such a good book. So uh, he's a writer for The Atlantic, and the book is um, written in the form of a letter to his son. And he is a black man who deals with, um, I guess, racial issues and writes about it quite beautifully but he kind of recounts his own experience and talks about the challenges that he faces and I just thought the way he articulated a lot of it was super empowering because he identified a problem but also identified ways to kind of move past it oh Um, that's refreshing I think yeah which is great and also the fact that he's writing to his son you know again like I sort of talked about it with the women's march but the idea that hopefully I don't want to quit pressure on the younger generation but I really believe that they're our future and that you know hopefully the world that they live in will be a more loving equitable place than one we do yeah and so this is just an aside I have a two and a half year old son and we're about to have a baby girl and I I remember thinking when I was pregnant with my son we didn't know what he was going to be, but I was just like, oh, you know, I feel like if it's a girl, I'm kind of prepared because I know how I've, like, I I would know what to tell her based on what I tell myself. But then it was kind of like, mm-hmm. how do I raise a feminist boy? And it's it, like, <laughs> yeah. but just because it was something I'd never thought about before, like just yeah. in terms of the different kinds of messages that you need to make sure and experiences they're having. Um, it was definitely an eye-opening thought process and conversation with my husband but uh yeah no it I guess it starts at home and has got to continue from there yeah totally and it's so great I feel like the fact that you even asked that question means he'll you know he'll do great oh fingers crossed (laughs) (laughs) do you have a favorite quote or words that you live by I do have a favorite quote it's actually not necessarily words that I live by, but when I'm feeling kind of down about the state of the world, it's what I think about. Okay. So it's it's a Martin Luther King Jr. quote, but I've heard President Obama quoted a lot, and it's that the moral arc of the universe bends towards justice, 
so sometimes it can feel like we're in a, a really negative place, but ultimately I think that we will come out on top of it. So that kind of gets me through some of the rougher times. Yeah, no, for sure. What's the best life lesson that you've learned or advice that you've been given? The best lesson I've learned is if you feel like you are sort of in a position where you can lift other people up, you know, I think that there's a, there's a, there's another kind of cool quote that is something like if you're a woman at the top or on a higher floor, send the elevator back down for other women. <laughs> so that idea I think is, is really important because it's really easy to just focus on ourselves in our own career paths and our own sort of, trajectories but it's so important especially if you have the networks and the resources to connect other people as well because I think that kind of paying it forward mentality really goes really goes a long way towards building other people up um so that that for me that that was really important and that was something that that's something that I tried to do like as much as possible and it's something I tried to do on my campaign like to have a lot of young people on it and to give them the opportunity to take leadership roles and the hopes that they go forward in politics and give those same, same opportunities to other younger people or, or less experienced people, right? Because if we sort of hold all the, all the keys in our hands, then I think our society will be poorer for it. Yeah, well, and it goes against that whole idea of there being only one or two roles, like spots for women and the competitiveness of yeah. it. And to, yeah, to lift each other up and... What's the other one? A high tide raises all boats or something like that. So it's good for all of us. Exactly. Yeah. It is. <laughs> so my final question, Esmahan, is what does it mean to you to live your best life or your most meaningful life? To be as authentic and true to myself as possible. And that can be hard sometimes because, you know, if you're really busy, I think it can be harder to be introspective and to know, you know, what my own needs are, or even what my own beliefs are sometimes so to really I think listen and go from there that's pretty important to me authenticity so I studied philosophy in undergrad so like the idea of being like authentic is something that we spend a bit of time on and that I think about a lot you know how do I make sure that I'm being as true to myself as I can be and it's hard sometimes because there's you know we are like we live in this sort of world where we are hyper inundated with all kinds of messages and all kinds of opinions. And sometimes you need to kind of like take a step back and, or I, at least I should speak for myself. I need to take a step back and just kind of be in a quiet place and think like, okay, like what, am, what is important to me and how do I live a life where I, where I work on what's important to me? Because I feel, I personally feel most fulfilled when I'm doing that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And if I'm involved in something that's not really aligned with that, then I don't feel as energetic or excited. I don't get up with the same kind of like rah-rah, let's go and get this done. So that's really important to me. Oh, that's so fantastic. I really appreciate you joining us on the podcast and we wish you all the best in your future endeavors. Thank you so much. <laughs> 